Hello, this is Yolanda Murphy, and welcome to this Exceptional Journey podcast, where you will find inspiration to live courageously through adversity, empowerment to live freely despite your past, and ignition to live boldly in your purpose, all by walking the survivor's side of life. What is up, my good people? Yolanda Murphy here, and welcome to this Exceptional Journey podcast. If this is your first time, hello, hello, hello. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And then if this is, you know, your not your first rodeo, welcome back. Thank you so much for rocking with me. Uh, Today we have a very, very special topic that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, But before we jump into that, let me go ahead and mention social media because last podcast I almost forgot and I did it at the (laughs) very end. Uh, But I am on on Facebook um, and Instagram at This Exceptional Journey and then on Twitter at TEJ of course, which stands for this exceptional journey and then podcast. So at TEJ podcast. Uh, so follow me, you know, I always follow back. I love to hear, you know, what you guys think. If you have questions, comments, and concerns, definitely inbox me or comment and definitely let me know. Okay. So right on to into the topic. It is October. As we all know, probably as, as you've already listened, my last podcast was about Pinktober. And kind of my discussion and and topics on that. But I also touched on uh, today actually being um, a two-year cancerversary for me. And how, you know, October already has a special place in my heart because of today. So if you don't know what a cancerversary is, really simple. It is a cancer anniversary. So somewhere along your journey with cancer, it is a milestone. For me, I think I have about maybe two or three cancerversaries um, and everyone connotates them different. For me, the anniversaries or cancerversaries that I celebrate would be the day I was diagnosed, which was February 8th. Um, and then this specific cancerversary uh, was when I actually ended all of my active treatment, which was October 5th. You know, (laughs) it does not feel like two years. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I've made it. (laughs) And I'm grateful, of course. But what I wanted to do today is just discuss it, you know, discuss from a survivor's perspective what it feels like to survive, uh, to still be healthy, to still be strong, to still be living life to the best of your ability and you know how you feel about it. Um, like I said, I was diagnosed February 8th, 2016. Literally all of 2016, well, majority of 2016, I was in the mental space of a cancer patient, which means I was in survivor mode even before I was told I no longer had cancer. I was determined to make it. I was determined to survive and cancer was not going to beat me. So everything that I did in 2016 from diagnosis, well, actually from finding the lump, which happened in the end of January, I found it myself. And then, you know, 
succession of appointments, everything was confirmed, biopsy, I'll get into all of that. But here I am. And I, I feel like there may be some men or women um, that are out there that may be at this point who may be saying I was just diagnosed. What do I have to expect? Everybody's journey is different, of course. But what can I look forward to? Can you explain to me how you felt during that time? And I'll try my best to do so without rambling for 10,000 minutes. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about, uh, my life kind of before breast cancer, uh, be I was 36 when I was diagnosed. And my life before then, I had, to be honest, at the time I had three jobs. Um, I had my full-time job and then I had two part-time jobs. One which I worked in the evenings during the week, Monday through Friday. And then the other part-time job I had, I just worked Saturdays and Sundays, maybe about six or maybe six and a half hours each day. So needless to say, I was hustling. I have, I at the time I had goals and in order to reach those goals, I knew I needed a certain financial acumen, if you will. And I was hustling to make that happen. So January 2016 comes, um, you know, re living regular life. I had just moved into my new place. And one night I'm literally just laying, I hadn't even gotten my, my living room furniture was to be delivered the week after. Um, and then I was still, you know, I had other furniture, but it was still in my old place. So here I am on an air mattress, TV in my empty living room. I'm watching television um, laying on a blown up air mattress. I'm sorry. And I'm just laying there, you know, ladies, you, we can attest when the night, you know, when the night is over, when what your brassiere comes off. Right. <laughs> so there I am. I'm just laying and relaxing and watching television, drifting off to sleep. And somehow, some way my hand kind of falls onto my chest and something doesn't feel right. Something feels hard. Something feels like it's protruding. I can't see it because my chest is big. <laughs> so it's not necessarily that I saw it, but laying on my back and ladies, we know, um, you know, that's kind of when, you know, everything kind of surfaces, you know, and you can kind of see and feel everything. So that's what happened. And I found my lump. That was the end of January. Uh, probably within the next week, I went through... I was already scheduled for a gynecological uh, appointment for my annual like pap smear and all of that stuff. So I was like, wonderful. I mean, my, I already have my appointment. I'll see if she sees what I feel. And she did. She said, okay, well, we'll go ahead and get you a mammogram and then we'll go from there. So let's just say my appointment with her was on a Tuesday. Uh, by Wednesday, I had a mammogram. Uh, by the end of business day on Wednesday, I had a biopsy. Uh, by Thursday, um, I I did. I'm sorry, but so by Wednesday, I had a I had a mammogram, and then the text said the doctor also wants you to have an ultrasound. I said wonderful. By the time all of that took place, you know it was closing time. It was end of business day, so the doctor was like, I'm gonna be honest. This looks like cancer. Um, it's not smooth, like it's, you know, just a cyst or, you know, just fluid. It has ridges and it's, you know, it, it looks like a tumor. So she said, I, I want you to get a biopsy done, but everyone is gone for the day. Can you come back tomorrow? I said, can I come back tomorrow? 
<laughs> I will be here bright and early. <laughs> what time do the doors open? So again, just generally speaking, let's say that was a Wednesday by Thursday. Um, I had a biopsy and then the weight. So by the time all of this was done, I found out on February 8th, which was a Monday that it indeed was cancer. They had it tested. They were able to give me my grade. So I was stage 2B invasive ductal carcinoma of the left breast. Um, next step of course was surgery. So probably the next two to three weeks of my life were nothing but doctor's appointments as to be expected. Um, very first one was to my uh, surgical oncologist, Dr. Diego. Hey, uh, she was absolutely phenomenal. She walked me through everything. Let me know what was going to happen. Um, what to expect afterwards and then kind of what my life may or may not look like further down the line. And from there, I went to the genetics um, department, had genetic testing done to see if I carried any genes uh, that would have caused breast cancer at the age of 36. Uh, once I had a slew of panels done, they came back and said, no, it was just your luck. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> but um, then after that was done, I also went to go see a fertility specialist because again, 36. Um, and at the time, unfortunately, just like now, <laughs> I was single. I don't have children, not married. Uh, so, you know, we wanted to look into options that if I wanted to have children in the future, what I would need to do, who I would need to contact. They, you know, gave me all the tests and let me know what was going on in that region. So lo and behold, I had my surgery March 11th, uh, maybe about three or four weeks of rest before I started chemo in April. Uh, and then I finished that. I had four rounds of cytoxin and taxatier for those of you that want to know. And, uh, I finished chemo July 1st, 2016, another cancer anniversary that I'll never forget. And even then I knew that my journey was at least 50% over because I already had surgery. Chemo was next. The last thing was radiation. Um, like I said, my life after diagnosis has been appointments after appointments after appointments. And even still now, because as we all know, after you hear those three words, you always live with it, even if it's no longer seen in your body. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, so then went on to radiation. I had to take like a little respite in between because, you know, they want your body to get reacclimated to germs and, you know, because your immune system's really low after chemo. And, uh, so I started radiation. I want to say the end of August, if I had to guesstimate the date, it's either the 28th or 29th and October 5th was it. I had 30 rounds of radiation, uh, five weeks. I believe it was five weeks, five or no, it wasn't six. I think it was five weeks. And like I said, I walked out of my local hospital, uh, radiation department and had no idea what my life would shape into after cancer because up until that point they had prepared me for living through this step through this process through getting through radiation through getting through chemo and then it's almost as if you know almost like high school for lack of a better phrase they prepare you for the world 
But once you graduate, it's just like, okay, <laughs> good luck <laughs> with whatever you do. Uh, you're out of our hands now. And that, and I mean, of course, no one made me feel that way, but I mean, that's kind of abruptly how it is. You, you live seven to 10 months of your life in this year, a cancer patient. And when it's over, they say, oh, you're good. Like, I think maybe a week later, I saw my medical oncologist again and he did some blood work and, you know, he did all of that. And then that was the official from him specifically. Oh yeah, you're good. You know, we don't see any cancer in your body, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great. <laughs> and I literally, I mean, it, to me, to be honest, if I, if I have to be honest, it wasn't really a sigh of relief. I mean, of course, I was grateful I no longer had the disease. I'm not talking about that side of things. I'm not talking about, you know, fighting and then winning. I'm not talking about that because I won. But I'm talking about life afterwards. They don't tell you how to do that. Almost like, again, in high school, they never taught us how to write checks. I mean, if your high school did, more power to you. Um, they didn't tell me how to balance a checkbook. I mean, I, and I went to a really, really great, great school, but I'm just saying high school doesn't prepare you for all things in, in life. And that's kind of how I felt about this process as you prepared me to survive, but that was it. So say all of that to say before breast cancer, you know, I was busy, very, um, active in my church, very active in my community, uh, very active working and I'm a big family person. So always spending time with my family and friends to living all of 2016, basically trying to survive. Um, I didn't work. I still worked my full-time job, but I ended up working from home. Um, and I was so grateful for that, especially during chemo time because my, of course my immune system was compromised. So, you know, they were like, no, just work from home, work when you can. I mean, I had FMLA if I needed it, but I was determined. And I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, let me know out there if you've ever gone through chemo or radiation. I was just determined to be as normal, I hope you hear my quotes, as possible. Not necessarily because I thought what I was going through was normal, but something you have no control over, like cancer, you want to try to control as much as possible. So, you know, I was trying to still work and didn't do much. I, I, I don't work a job. I work for a healthcare um, company. So I, I, I don't lift anything. I don't do anything physical. I actually sit for like eight hours a day, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, so I was able to work and I had a very understanding manager. You know, there were some days after chemo, you know, I would be like, I just don't have the strength. And he would be like, okay. Um, there would be some days, like even a week or so later, you know, because I had to wait three weeks in between each chemo treatment. And I would be like, I just don't have the energy to, I cannot keep my eyes open. I, I just have no energy. And to this day, my, my manager, um, I just celebrated um, working five years at this employer. And, you know, my manager spoke of me and he said, you know, she's stronger than I think she knows. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I was able to be a beacon, you know what I mean? To show the strength that I felt on the inside. So all of that to say, here I am 
two years out after going through all of that. And remember, this is, this is still living regular life. You know what I mean? I still have obligations. I still have bills, you know, going through chemo, going through radiation. Uh, life doesn't stop just because you get cancer. Life does not halt. Your bills don't say, oh, hey, no, don't pay me. No, <laughs> you still have to do what you have to do. I was down to just working my full-time job um, to the best of my ability. Um, one job I just let go, um, the one I was working on the weekends, and then the other part-time job basically said, you have a job whenever you get back, whenever you're well and you can come back. And if you want to, you have a job. So I was grateful for that as well. Uh, but here I am again, two years out. And it's kind of surreal because if you would have asked me two years ago, would I be where I am? I would, I would say no, if that makes sense. Because to be honest, when I walked out and finished radiation, I mean, I came back and worked, finished the rest of my work day because it was only like 20 minutes for radiation um, a day. Although I had to go Monday through Friday, it, it, you know, was only about 20 minutes to a half an hour a day. Uh, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to help. And kind of what prompted me to start this exceptional journey was I remember reading back in my old journal from 2016 last year um, in 2017, just, you know, reflecting and, you know, looking where I've come from. And I remember on October 5th, as soon as I came back from radiation, I wrote in my journal about how I felt. And I went, you know, of course, oh my goodness, you know, today was the last day of radiation. I can't believe my journey with cancer has come to an end for this year, you know, but then spoke and said, I want to help. I just went through everything that I went through and I feel like everything that I've learned along the way should not be kept just to myself. I feel like I need to help someone else. And literally, I mean, maybe mid last year, mid 2017, end of 2017, I came up with the idea to blog um, at thisexceptionaljourney.com. And then I was like, you know what? I think I need people to hear me. <laughs> Literally, like I want people to hear my voice say they they know exactly where I'm coming from. And I was like, maybe a podcast. But it was so far-fetched to me at the time that I really did not think that it would be possible for me to do a podcast. I'm thinking to myself, a podcast? Like, who does that? Like, where do they do that at? <laughs> but I mean, here we are, right? Like episode two and here we are. So, you know, I, I thought I would talk about a few things that I learned in these last two years. Uh, a few little tidbits I thought I could give someone out there who may be going through still radiation or chemo or surgery or you know, maybe be on maintenance medications for metastatic. You know, I was grateful enough to along the way be strong. And I'm grateful that I mustered up within me the strength because my family would have been affected. My mom and my dad, my brother, you know, my, my, the rest of my family, my friends that I consider family, uh, I had to be strong, not only for me, but for them. And although, again, I don't have children, 
my family is my life. You know what I mean? My, my friends that I consider family are my life. Uh, so just thought I would come on and just talk about a few things that I learned, uh, not necessarily because I'm an expert, not necessarily because, you know, my journey trumps or tops anybody else's journey. But one phrase that I've definitely learned to live with over these last two years is that my experience makes me an expert at my story. So your story is completely different. It, you know, I know some people that did chemo first and then surgery and then radiation. I know some people that did, you know, surgery like me and then radiation and no chemo. Your story is going to be your story, but I can only be the best at telling my own. So just a few things that I thought that would, you know, help someone along the way that may be facing this or to be honest, any other uh, situation in life, because cancer is not the only thing we fight. How many, how many people know that? Um, there are so many other people out here. I mean, how many times we have to turn on the news and we see bad things happening because people don't know, know how to process emotions or things that they're going through. So this is not just for cancer patients. This is not just for someone that has gone through specifically breast cancer, but this, these, these pointers or tips that I'm, I'm going to give are for people who are like, dang, like I've gone through this. How can I make it out? How can I be better? How can I see the light on the end at the end of the tunnel? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so one of the very first things um, that I learned and very quickly was that life is too short. You know, life is too short to be so serious. Now, I'll, I'll tell you right off the bat, growing up, I mean, I wasn't a serious child, but I was very discerning of people. And I'll, you know, as we go through these podcasts, you'll understand why as you get to know me. But I was a very discerning child. I was not very trusting. I was not very, oh, hey, I love everyone. I, that was not me. <laughs> Uh, and for good reason, to be honest. And again, we'll discuss that maybe in another season of the podcast, but so into my adult years, I mean, I've always been fun loving. I've always been, you know, kind of the life of the party, the clown of the class. Uh, and I've loved that. But when it comes to people, I'm like, how are you? Oh, good to see you. All right. I will check you another time. <laughs> uh, but I say that to say I was always serious when, when, especially when it came to being out, you know, in public places or, you know, being with friends or being with people that I don't know. Um, I was always serious and sometimes still now I have to catch myself, but you know, people would say to me, why are you so serious? You're too pretty not to smile. Or, you know, life is, you know, too short. Life is too good not to smile. And I would say, <laughs> you're right. And keep it moving, <laughs> to be honest. And one thing I learned very quickly, like very, very quickly with this cancer journey, is that life is too short. When you're in your 30s, mid-30s to be exact, and you find out you have cancer, when in your mind cancer up until that, that time, if you've listened to my previous podcast, you'll know up until my aunt was diagnosed two years before me, I didn't have anyone directly connected to me that was diagnosed with cancer. And 
when in your 30s, you hear you have a disease that has been taking people out for decades, you honestly think 50-50. I get a diagnosis. I have 50% 50 chance of living. I have 50% chance of dying. And when you have to face that mortality in your 30s, when you're thinking you're just living your life and trying to get yourself together, it puts you in a completely different mindset. It puts you in a completely different mental space. And it made me realize, why aren't you smiling more? <laughs> why are you so serious all the time? But you know what that made me really do, though? It made me look inwardly. It made me think to myself, why? What is so bad or what is so horrible about life? Now, don't get me wrong that, you know, when I see people walking around and cheesing and smiling all the time, I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> and not in a bad way, but I think there's a good balance. I think there should be a good balance when you need to be serious, be serious when you can be fun loving. Absolutely. So again, one of the very first things that I've learned in this, these last two years was that life is too short. Um, these last two years of my life, you know, my, some of my close friends and family will attest. I've done some things I would have never imagined I would do or places I would have never gone in these last two years. I've gone to California twice. I've gone to Boston. Um, I've gone to Denver. Uh, I've gone to, uh, I already said California twice. <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean, I've, I've just gone to so many different places. I've gone kayaking. What? Um, I've gone camping. I've done archery. Uh, axe throwing. Axe, like chopping down a tree axe. Like so many things that I, I just would have never opened myself up to do. I've done in these last two years because I've realized why not? Why not? What am I going to lose by going to enjoy myself? What am I going to lose by going to a place that I've never gone? And don't get me wrong. I've always loved traveling, but I thought I had more time. And not that I don't not, I'm not saying, you know, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be gone anytime soon, but again, it changes your perspective of life. It changes you thinking, oh, I'm in my 30s. I have until 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 to do this and to do this. And tomorrow's not promised. And, you know, you always hear that, but it's really not. So number one thing that I learned for sure is life is too short and don't be so serious. Do new things. Travel to places you've always wanted to go to. Spend time with people that you love. All of those things are crucial because, again, life is just not promised. So. Second thing that I found, again, really early in my walk with uh, breast cancer uh, was know who your tribe is. We all know what a tribe is, right? Like a tribe of people uh, that is your community. You have something in common. Usually it's something that you have in common, like you're a community of programmers or you're a community of engineers or, a com or you're a community of stay-at-home moms whatever your tribe is, find them. It was very unfortunate that I had to find out the hard way who was really in my corner going through cancer. And it, it took me probably about a year, to be honest. It took me about a year out from cancer to come to the realization that everyone can't handle your diagnosis. 
And I had to be okay with that. Going through it, I didn't understand it. Going through it, I thought I had friends that loved me. Going through it, I thought I had, you know, people who I called family, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, um, daughter, son, uh, people who I thought were in my corner. And the minute I give a diagnosis, they're nowhere to be found. Nowhere. I'm talking about not a call, not a text message, not an email, not to show up at your door, nothing. And I had to realize very quickly who was in my corner and had to let everyone else fall away. Was it easy? Absolutely not. It was very hurtful. But here I am two years later, some of those same people I've had conversations with um, over the last year and a half, maybe, um, that they explained to me, okay, this is the reason why I felt like I could not be there for you. This is the reason why I felt like I couldn't be as close to you as possible. And everyone has their own reason. But what I had to make sure was, is I had to be okay with it because I can't control anyone else's life. I can't control whether or not someone else is here for me. I can only control what I have control over. And again, was it hurtful? Yes. But I learned that I have to find my trap. So what that means is Find people who are just willing to do things for you. For me, a lot of those people came from my church. Don't get me wrong. I love my church family, but my ch I go to a bigger church, so I don't know everyone. But people I've never known, or at least spoke to, I might have seen them in passing, but never really had personal conversation with, they were asking what I needed. Oh, do you need a meal? Oh, do you need someone to drive you to an appointment? That's your tribe. That is your tribe. Now, does that mean you need to be all close up close and personal and tell everyone all of your business? No. But what that means is you quickly find out who is in your corner. And then you have to learn how to be okay with that. Because at the end of the day, you want people that are going to be there who you can be yourself with, who you don't have to pretend. You know, I remember one time during, you know, my my season with breast cancer, my hair fell out, like maybe between seven to 10 days after my first chemo. Um, my hair is natural. It was natural then as well. I had a really, really big Afro and I had braids in my hair at the time. And when I went to go take my braids out, I really didn't have to take anything out because they were just falling out in my hand when my hair started falling out. And I was of course shocked. And over the course of that next week, more and more hair just kept falling out to the point where like I would try to s take the hair that I had left and kind of slide it back into a ponytail. And I, some hair still had length at the time. I think my hair was like shoulder length and, but you could see so much of my scalp. It was, it was, it was sad. And one of the very first people that I let see me that way, of course, was my mom. I mean, she's my mom. But then was my cousin who was actually styling my hair, my natural hair right before it fell out. And I asked her, I said, can you just buzz cut me? And I remember the very first time that, you know, because I was walking around with a hat on, I was walking around with wigs on. And the very first time she saw my hair like that, I think she held it together for me. Uh, but I could see in her face the devastation or I could I could see in her face the fear or the the sadness for me. But 
I just sat in the chair and she buzzed me. That's my tribe. Um, someone who was strong for me when I didn't even feel like I could be strong for myself. That is your tribe. And you can actually find it. I mean, if you're here in, in my city, here in Pittsburgh, we have a couple groups. I mean, first of all, there's um, Young Survival Coalition. We have a, a meeting, you know, every week. I'm sorry, every month. Um, and then we have um, what's called the Cancer Caring Center, which is an organization that deals with all cancer. But then they have specifically a young adult cancer su support group. Um, that I am a part of that's led by an amazing, phenomenal woman by the name of Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. Um, she started this group because she herself was also um, a young adult cancer survivor and saw the need for us to get together. And I, to be honest, I don't know where I would be with this group. Be I don't know where I would be without this group. Um, I joined this group in June of last year and I they're my family. They are absolutely my family. And you have to find in your city, in your hometown, who, who is your tribe. And unfortunately, everybody's family's not in their corner. And I get that. So you got to, you know, you don't have to go through this alone. You really don't. You really do not. So find your tribe. Um, so the third thing that I learned is that you have to take care of you. Of course, when you're going through radiation, chemo, you know, surgery, all of these things are medical you know, procedures. So of course you have to take care of yourself. You don't get sick or get germs, but I'm talking about all the other end in these last two years. You know, I've, like I said, I've done things that I've never done, but taking care of yourself or as we call self care looks different for everybody. It could be someone getting a facial. It could be someone getting a massage. It could be someone traveling by themselves for the first time and just being alone with themselves. Um, it could be going on a retreat. A meditation retreat. It could be doing meditation. For everyone, it looks different, but it's crucial in this season, especially if you are married, especially if you do have children or if you have family obligations, like if you, you know, take care of your mom or dad or any other family member, you have to take care of you because if not, you're going to find yourself tired and fatigued and wondering what is going on. <laughs> Like what is going on? And you know, cancer is an ugly beast. Can cancer, it just doesn't care. It does not care race, creed, religion, sex, sexual orientation. It does not matter. It does not matter. But one thing we all have in common is that we want to fight to live, right? So you have to take care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually even. You have to take time. If it's a half an hour, an hour, get proper rest. And again, I'm not saying these things because I'm an expert. I've just experienced it. Last year in February, specifically, uh, again, I finished uh, radiation, all of my active treatment, October 2016. February 2017, I decided to go back because I sing at my church. And I decided to go back to my obligations Um of singing with my church and my church, as I said before, is it's on the larger side and we have four services a weekend. Say all of that to say, I went back and did all four services. Service is probably about an hour and a half long. So not long, long. Um, but I also did some other stuff that weekend. I went to a birthday party. I went to a basketball game. 
from Friday to Sunday, I did tons of stuff. By Monday, I had a fever. By Tuesday, I had viral symptoms. And by Wednesday, I was not able to work because I pushed myself way too hard because I was not listening to my body because I was around all germs and other people. I did too much. Uh, and it was because I wasn't taking care of myself because I was not paying attention to, to my body. And it is crucial. It is absolutely crucial that if you find your place, if you find yourself in that place, that you do that, please take care of yourself, self-care it's crucial. And again, this is not just for cancer patients. This is not just for someone who's facing breast cancer. This is someone who, like myself at the time before breast cancer, I was working three jobs, not doing anything for self-care, just running the wheel, the, the hamster wheel, not taking care of myself, not taking time for me. And I found myself in a, in a, in a bad place. So please take care of yourself. Self-care is crucial. And lastly, one of the things that I've learned and have been trying to implement to the best of my ability over these last maybe year um, or two years is helping others. It's very imperative to me that wherever you've come from, you help someone get to where you are from where you've been. And it doesn't necessarily mean again, that you're an expert. It doesn't mean you're a therapist. It doesn't mean you know, that you have all the answers, but what it does mean is, you know, because you've made it and I made it here. I am two years out, still no evidence of the disease, but there are women every day being diagnosed every single day. And if I'm more specific, there are young women and men being diagnosed every single day that I can reach out to or touch and say, Hey, if I made it, you can make it. Let's do this. This is what it looks like. This is what you have to look forward to. This was my journey. Yours may be a little different, but we had to face the same beast. We did. Uh, so I, in October again of 2016, was determined to do something. I applied for a couple, you know, programs. Um, I connected with Young Survivor Coalition February 2017. I went to their conference. Uh, myself and my mom, just as an attendee, um, and had a phenomenal time. It was, at, I was in a room with people who understood where I was, so I didn't have to pretend like I was strong, if that makes sense. And it was phenomenal. It was amazing. Um, so that was in February last year. And then I said, you know what, I want to help someone else. So I applied to Living Beyond Breast Cancer. They have a young women's initiative. Um, and within that young women's initiative, they have a young advocate program where they train you to be an advocate. Um, if you're a young breast cancer survivor, I applied and got accepted. And in July, I was in Boston getting trained to be a young advocate. The list goes on and on. I won't tell you what all I've done over the last two years, but I say all of that to say I took where I came from and put it into action. Um, October was over. I rested again in February. Um, I went to the conference, was so energized, so pumped up to help somewhere, to help somewhere and to just kind of pull it full circle to today. I am actually a state leader for Pennsylvania for a young survival coalition. So I get to even more volunteer and help young women in my state. I just got that position, uber excited, still, you know, working out some things, but 
My goal is to help as many men and women as possible get through this disease. And again, that's where this Exceptional Journey podcast came in because I felt like everyone doesn't read blogs. Everyone doesn't watch YouTube, but there's a population of people that podcasts are their life. Why not reach out? Why not be a voice to those that feel like they don't have one? So here I am. Guys, that's all I have for today. Um, I hope I, you know, gave some very pertinent and important information. Uh, for all of the organizations that I've mentioned, I will definitely leave a link in the description uh, so that you could connect with them. If you know of any, um, specifically any young men or women uh, that are either dealing with this or post, you know, cancer treatment or just diagnosed, Young Survivor Coalition is where it's at. Young Survivor Coalition helped me through a time where I had no idea what was going on with my body, what I was going through next. I mean, doctors explain it from a doctor's standpoint. That's their job. But Young Survivor Coalition, they have navigators that you can, you know, reach out to young men and women, women with. Phenomenal. They were a very, very big reason why. I am where I am today and felt confident in knowing that I can make it. And then, you know, if you know of anyone that's not young, but still, you know, surviving and thriving, whether it's metastatic or even young, um, living beyond breast cancer is another great organization that I'm connected with. I just finished my young adult term, which is a year in July. And now I'm an alum. So I still get to be tied to some amazing and phenomenal people. So Again, I will leave those links down in the description box below. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, definitely let me know. Either inbox me, comment, um, tag me, let me know what you think. Uh, we're in this together. And again, you know, we're talking about breast cancer today, but it could be mental health tomorrow. You know what I mean? We're all in life together to make it, to thrive. And we only do that by helping one another no man is an island. We're all here to be and help one another. So I hope anything that I've said has helped. Um, if you need any further information, definitely let me know. Like I said, for those specific two organizations, I am still connected. Thank you so, so much for sharing this two year cancerversary with me. I am elated to still be alive and well, still be in health and strength. And hopefully from here on out, this will be the beginning of some great, great things. So hit me up on social media, guys, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon.